fight And we don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no We don't have to fight Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. This is episode number 54, and my guest this week is actually the president of one of my favorite board game companies in the whole world. They have such a unique and innovative way of producing games, and he was just a really interesting and friendly guy. So I can't wait for you to see this, but before we get to it, I want to remind you, if you're watching on YouTube right now, and you would prefer an audio-only version of this, then you can get that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many other places like that. But if you're listening to me on one of those right now and you didn't even realize that there was a visual side to this show, then I encourage you to please come check it out on YouTube. While you're there, if you could please subscribe, it would really mean a lot to me. We're so close to hitting 1,000 subscribers, and I just can't tell you what that support means to me. So if you've already been checking out the show and enjoying it up to this point, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Finally, if you want to hit me up, maybe you've got a cool guest idea or just some general feedback about the show, you can email me at justchillpodcasting at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's guest, I got the chance to speak with Mr. Justin Jacobson. As I mentioned, he's the president of a very cool board game company. They are called Restoration Games. Now, what makes them so unique is that they take old games from the 60s, 70s, 80s, you name the decade, and they breathe new life into them. These nostalgic games that people love from their youth, they improve on the mechanics, they switch up the theme, they end up with just a superior product, but it always carries the spirit of the original. So one of those games is actually a game called Unmatched. It's based off of a uh, old Star Wars game that they incorporated different mechanics into and revitalized the whole thing. And Unmatched is just, it's unmatched as far as awesome games go. Uh, it's a two-player asymmetrical game. It plays in like 20 minutes, sometimes half an hour. Uh, but you can be the Invisible Man fighting Dracula, fighting Sherlock Holmes, fighting the velociraptors from jurassic park fighting bigfoot and robin hood there's bruce lee there's buffy the vampire slayer it's insane the crazy matchups that you can enact and really just such a blast to play so i do want to go and as a caveat here i want to say i implore you to check this episode out if you are not a board gamer because it's not just nerdy board game talk there's a lot of interesting stuff about the behind the scenes board game industry and beyond that justin has been a lawyer for 20 years and made a huge career change into becoming the president of this company. So that whole tale is very interesting and, and empowering as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. And I really hope you enjoy the chat as much as I did. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, always happy to chat with folks. <laughs> well, I mean, you're the president of Restoration Games, which is uh, a company that's been putting out one of my favorite games for quite some time now, uh, Unmatched, of course. But beyond that, you just have such an in innovative approach to the way that you guys do things. And you publish games by basically breathing new life into older games that have a, a special place in a lot of people's hearts. And you revitalize it you improve the mechanics in a lot of cases you might change up the thematics a bit but um just really really interesting stuff as opposed to the sort of more traditional way of putting out board games um i wanted to know though because this is the the thing that i didn't know about you which is that you're a lawyer so <laughs> that kind of i was taken aback by that but it's very very cool and um the website says that i was a little confused because it says that you gave all that lawyering up to start restoration games and yet it seems to also be referring to you as an attorney in the present sense so do you still maintain certification and all that yeah uh at least for now i keep wondering <laughs> if i should bother uh because basically it's just an annoyance right now mm. uh, but yeah i practiced law for 20 years uh i 
did uh, a couple years of medical malpractice defense, which wasn't particularly exciting. And then I actually went to work with my dad. Uh, he had a law firm, he was a lawyer, and uh, we're doing civil litigation, well, mostly debt collection, where I was suing people who had money. Wow, you're that <laughs> so guy. You can imagine. <laughs> and I will say, like, it, it's not, it's, it's gotten a lot worse. So back when I started, it wasn't sort of as uh, distasteful as it is now. And honestly, that's one of the main reasons I gave it up. Uh, and really, I, I sort of had to give it up. I, I was really, really dissatisfied, uh, stressed out, and unfulfilled, all that stuff, right? I was just going to say, I can only imagine that pivoting from that career to running a game company is, is such a almost polar opposites. It would seem. Yeah. I mean, if you imagine like if I'm not like super spiritual person, but if you imagine if like your, your soul is a vessel, right. You go from completely empty to just overflowing. Oh, that's uh, amazing. That's great to hear. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I get people thanking me for, you know, having, playing games with their kids and, you know, having fun with friends and just it, I'm bringing joy to the world instead of mitigating, uh, just, you know, bad things. Uh, and, and so, like I said, it, it's not quite as it's, the practice has changed quite a bit in that area in terms of the practice of law it was really much more about solving problems back when I started, like, you know, people owed money and we would work things out and get stuff sorted out let people turn their you know lives around and whatnot. Uh, and it's become much more, not that <laughs> uh, the creditors have become more predatory. Uh, yeah. The lawyers have become more perfunctory in what they're doing. And it's really just uh, sort of like an assembly line approach to that, that area of the law and all that stuff. So I was really just, like I said, I was just completely done with it basically, but it was my livelihood. I had taken over the practice from my dad. That was, you know, it was like essentially an air, you know, an heirloom, a family yeah. heirloom, if you will, this law firm. Oh, definitely. But I went to lunch with a couple of my friends from high school and we were talking about stuff and I was talking about games. And I just sort of had this weird idea about, uh, you know, republishing a game that had been out of print from so long ago because Kickstarter had just taken off. So it seemed like it was doable. Um, I had previously published Dungeons and Dragons supplements under the D20 license and things like that. So I sort of had a little bit of a toe in an amateur sense, but just had this idea and they were, they knew I was, how sort of miserable I was. They basically just, you know, gave me the push to, to, to go forward with it. And I sold the practice. Uh, I, well, first things first, I talked to Rob Davio and we sort of figured out a way to make it work. And, um, then I sold the practice and just started doing it full time and I, you know, never looked back. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. And that's a really ballsy move too. I mean, your, your whole life is being uprooted in a sense. And, uh, you know, so kudos to you for following. Yeah. I mean, kudos to my wife, really. Oh, okay. <laughs> she was incredibly supportive. Uh, she's a very successful attorney too. I'm super privileged, uh, in terms of like personal, my personal, you know, finances and things like that to be able to do it. So I, Believe me, I, I count my uh, blessings every day that it could even pull it off on several levels. But yeah, no, it was it was it was great. Well, yeah, it's it's amazing that it's bringing this happiness and fulfillment to your life. Um, I wanted to know though um, what the actual catalyst was that finally made you sort of take that leap and, and go, you know, all in. Um, I mean, really, it was sort of the idea, like. Uh, like I, I mean, said, other than I, being unhappy, sorry, you did. Say yeah, that. no, like unhappy meant like I needed to make a change. So how is it going to be this change in particular? Right. Uh, but I've always been a game player. Like even when I was a kid, I played board games and not, you know, not the sort of all the traditional stuff like my dad and my uncle who were close with lived next, pretty close to each other. 
um, and my cousins, we would all play games all like every weekend and, and, you know, weird euros that people had never heard of before. Like what's this <laughs> settlers of Catan game that, you know, just came out in Germany and they'd be mail ordering stuff from Germany to come over all that stuff. So I've, I've always been sort of steeped in games. And, um, like I said, I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons too. Um, I did some self-publishing, so I sort of always maintain it. And the one thing I, I feel like I've told the story a million times, but now probably not to your audience. No, uh, exactly. Yeah, please. So uh, I used to go to Gen Con every year and I would put on a seminar, a legal Q&A so that I could write the trip off as a business expense. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I got some clients from it and things like that. And I would always, you know, basically just go. People would ask me questions. I'd answer them, et cetera, et cetera. And then one time after one of my Q&As, some woman came up to me, a nice young woman and said, my husband's getting ready to leave Hasbro and we'd like to take you out to dinner and pick your brain. And that was Rob Davio's wife, Lindsay Davio. And, uh, so we went to dinner and had a very nice dinner. Rob was getting ready to leave. He had just done risk legacy. Oh, nice. Um, and he wanted to sort of figure out what he could do with legacy after he left. And so we talked about it. And ever since then I was acting as Rob Fuller. I did all pro bono work. I would review his con contracts and, hmm. you know, stuff like that. And IP things, whatever, whatever came up for, you know, a few years, several years or whatever. And then, like I said, I just had Kickstarter was taking off. Uh, and I just had this idea, like I wanted to do something and I had this idea in the shower of bringing back an old out of printed game. Cause if people would always say, Oh, you know, and so the one in particular that I sort of first seized on was star Wars Queens Gambit, oh, okay, which is uh, based off of episode one came out in the nineties. Really cool. That's the one with the layered board. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And it has like the three part battlefield and it's pretty cool. Like it's a neat game. I've sure. heard nothing but good things. I've never had the play. Yeah, so it's a lot of people's grail games and yeah. I've, sort of always heard that. I was like, well, you know, thinking like a lawyer, <laughs> you could, you could redo it. If you stripped out the episode one IP, which, you know, who's a big episode one fan. Yeah, anyway. Everyone wants that jar jar. I don't know. Anybody's big fan. <laughs> uh, and redo it with something else, you know, whether it was straight fantasy or some other something, whatever. But then I was like, you Kickstarter would make that possible. So I just had this idea and it was sort of wouldn't let go. Like I, it, it kept, you know, went wending its way around in my, my mind there. And, um, you know, I sort of thought of ideas and, was, and anyway, I talked to Rob about it one day and he was like, Oh, that's a neat idea. Like, I don't think we should do that game, but we just started talking about other games that we played as kids and like bringing them back. Like there, there are games that, you know, people haven't ever had a chance to experience like dark tower or fireball Island or a lot yeah, of these extremely old games rare. that have really neat yeah. bits to them, you know? Mm hmm. And, uh, it sort of just went from there. I, you know, I, I like to say I made Rob an offer. He couldn't refuse, you know, just make games and I'll handle all the other stuff. Uh, he I actually didn't turn out the way he, he does some other stuff too, but he's a good, good partner to have. And, uh, you know, that's, it worked out. <laughs> so what was the first game under the restoration banner that was like a revived entity? So we, uh, sort of, I don't know, our hubris, but we decided to do three games at once. <laughs> <laughs> for our first launch, we wanted to, our mantra from the beginning was always, we wanted to be a two-year company in year one and a five-year company in year two. Mm. So we were very aggressive about it. Uh, like I said, we, so it was just us. And then we brought Jason on, Jason Taylor, who uh, worked with at Hasbro, does graphic design, some amazing graphic designer. And then we brought on Lindsay Davio's wife, who in her own right is this uh, production uh, designer and graphic designer. She does all production files. She's amazing too. She also worked at Hasbro. That's where they met. Anyway, 
So, but we sort of just put our heads down and got through these four games and released them all at once at Gen Con in 2017, which was uh, Downforce, so our racing game. Okay. Um, uh, Indulgence, which is a trick-taking game based off an old game called Dragon Master that Rob and I used to play when we were uh, younger. And then uh, Stop Thief, which is a really cool game. And I think we were learning about Stop Thief. I mean, they all have their own little stories about why we decided to do them. Stop Thief has this electronic device or whatever. And it was one of the very first games to come with an electronic device that became sort of popular. It had some neat ideas in, but there's never been really been anything like it. So it was a perfect game for us and hmm. sort of planted a flag on what we were all about is like, here's this old game. All the old people are going to be like, Oh, I remember that game. And all the young people are going to be like, what? But when they play it, it's still got a cool hook. And so yeah, definitely. when it came out and we had that success at Gen Con, Gen Con was a huge hit for us. We sort of knew we had that there was really something there and that that was going to work. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I was wondering that because I started looking up a lot of the games that you just mentioned, and I was not sure if those were into, uh, original things that you had come up with completely, you know, not based off of anything. But so we only do old games. Uh, sometimes okay. we change the name, like Indulgence used to be uh, uh, Dragon Master, and Downforce was sort of a uh, an amalgamation of several games. There was an old game called uh, Daytona 500, which had the Daytona 500 license, but it was an old racing game by Wolfgang Kramer, who's a very renowned designer. He's won multiple Spiel des Jahres. Uh, but uh, there were also some other versions like uh, Top Race and... Uh, uh, Cleveland, uh, Detroit, Cleveland Grand Prix, and a bunch of these other, it does multiple versions of them with little tweaks to them. And we just sort of, but none of them ever looked like really gorgeous by modern board game standards. Mm. So that was our big thing. We, we sort of didn't have to do much to the gameplay. We streamlined it a little bit, took bits and pieces of different uh, parts from the various games and made it to sort of one cohesive set. But mostly we just, got a really nice artist and made really cool looking cars and all that stuff. Well, uh, the so that was, is... that was like one way to, to restore a game. Right. Uh, and then there's stop thief, which we said, Oh, we have this big chunky plastic electronic device that we can now just put on a, on a smartphone. Right. And turn it into an app. And so that's another way to, to, uh, Modernize. restore a game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so we were sort of figuring out what worked, what didn't work, you know, what people were interested in, and it quickly, we quickly got the hang of it. Like we, we sort of, whether we just fell into it or had good intuition or whatever, we sort of figured out really quickly, like what makes a really good restoration, which is finding what we call the soul of that original game. Like the thing that everybody remembers, turning that up to like 11, like making that the star of the game and then just building a modern game around it, you know, mm -hmm. using modern game design techniques, better, you know, or upgraded components or art that we have in more modern games and things like that. So that it really supports that cool part that everybody loves. So when they play it, they get that, they yeah. get that recognition of the cool part, but they're playing a modern board game. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say that the aesthetic on everything that I've seen, all your games is just through the roof. Amazing. And uh, I'm really, really interested in this dinosaur tea party that I saw because yeah. the artwork on that had me blown away too. Um, yeah. So that's a funny one, of course. So we, we were trying to find a smaller game to make and it's based off an old game called who's it, which is sort of like a multiplayer version of guess who. Okay. And I remember I, we, so one of the things we do is we get the original game to play it and sort of get our own feel for it. 
And I got the game when I played it with my kids after I had looked through it. I was like, you know, just so you know, guys, it's a little bit racist, this game. You know, it came out <laughs> in the 70s. Actually, I think it was 69 even. Oh, jeez. Uh, in any case, you know, but it's uh, basically you're categorizing people into various groups, you know, like, uh, or <laughs> so they were like, they were like, oh, why is it racist? Like, you know, and I was like, well, for starters, you know, the word Oriental is a little outdated, but yeah. more importantly, the Oriental people are the waiter and, you know, the, oh. uh, and the, the black person is the, uh, the stunt man and the rock star and like the genius is the white guy. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so we Old were like, gross. okay, well, we, first thing we can do, let's take the racism out and just strip it down, you know, but there was a cool a great part start. to it, which the one, the cool hook this is what I talked about. Like the cool hook of it was, some of the people had quirks. So you would, and guess who you asked, like, do you have a hat? Are you, you know, wearing a red shirt, that kind of stuff. And who's it that's the same sort of thing, but some of them have quirks. So one person will always lie and say the opposite or one person oh, will always cool. answer no, you know, that kind of thing. And that's a pretty cool hook for a very tight yes. little game. So we said, okay, let's just redo it and all that. And, but we quickly found that, whenever you have a game where you're taking people and categorizing them in various ways, it just, there's at some point it becomes uncomfortable. Like that's not what we want to be doing with our fellow people, you know? So that we just, Rob had Rob one day at one point, I'll never forget. He said, you know, I've had this idea for a title. He just had the title in his head for called dinosaur tea party. And what if we did that? And everybody was like, Oh yeah, that'll totally work. And as soon as we did that, everything clicked into place. We found this great uh, uh, artist. Uh, his last name is hard to pronounce. Gebra Selassie, I believe, is how you pronounce it. If I'm, I'll be impressed if I nailed that one. Uh, really cool artist. He did these. We did a couple of test pieces of art with him, and they came out looking really cool. And then we just had fun with it, like you know, do the accents, you know, the scoring. We had white, we put white cubes in and we said, Oh, those are sugar cubes, you know? Oh, nice. <laughs> so it's just a matter of, and I will say, you said the games look great. That's again, Jason Taylor, Lindsay Davio, they're amazing. And uh, just maybe to a fault almost. Like, well, you know, we could get stuff a lot so out a lot sooner if we weren't that committed to making sure everything looked really great. And, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't have it, of course, like they would not, that <laughs> would not be acceptable or to me, honestly, or Rob, but, uh, so yeah, they're very creative too. So once they get an idea and they get to work on it in terms of the graphics and all that and working with the illustrators, um, you know, we're, we're lucky to have them for sure. Yeah, well, I'm going to try and pick that one up because it seems like something I could play with my kids, right? For sure, yes. Okay. Great, yeah, great I mean, for families and kids or honestly, if you've got a bunch of friends around and you're a little bit drunk, it's also a lot of fun. That's like or the majority. Or like doing accents too. That's the other thing. Oh, cool. Yeah, accents yeah. and improv people get a kick out of it as well. It's a fun little game, yeah. That's like the majority of our game collection here is, is <laughs> games we can play when we've had a couple of drinks, generally sure. speaking. Um, sure. I wanted to ask you, oftentimes people, when they shift from one job to another, they find themselves incorporating skills that they used to use at their old job into the new uh, find place that they find themselves. So I want to know which skills you gain as a lawyer have you found the most useful at implementing in your current position? Sure, 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 sure. Uh, totally true. Um, and... Uh, obviously the big thing is I do all the contracts for the team, like oh, for the company. So, and, and like, you know, that's people in the game public and the publishers like that are below, like the very top tier generally don't can't afford an attorney. 
Um, and honestly, that's why I still have my license because I do a lot of helping out for people. And I, that I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't maintain my license. That's great. So I'll do like contracts for small game companies and things just to help them out. Nice. Uh, but for me, obviously I just, you know, do the contract. It's not that hard <laughs> for me because I've been doing it forever. Um, and, uh, but the other thing that's interesting is, uh, two, two things actually, one, both of them are, one's pretty obvious is I'm, I'm a very good negotiator. Uh, I think it by gen in general attorneys probably are, but especially that type of law that I was doing, uh, it was all negotiation. And so I've been literally negotiating things for 20 years. I know all the tricks and, you know, troubles and all that. So, you know, when I'm trying to work something out with someone or whatever it might be, or trying to agree to get someone to let us do something they may not be inclined to do. So I'm, I'm pretty good at persuading people. So that can be good. Very useful. Um, yeah. And then the other thing I found out, so I've always dabbled in game design. Like I, I think I mentioned, I, I did some deep. Uh, yeah. I had written some uh, blue devil games and one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I dabbled in a little bit of that. Uh, and what I found is that I think it's because I did so much contract work. And also as an attorney, you're constantly like analyzing statutes and things like that to find exceptions or case law to say, oh, this case should apply or shouldn't apply. There's something about that process that uh, really is pretty analogous to what I've come to find out. It's called exception-based design. So something like Magic the Gathering or whatever, where you have this core set of rules, but where the game mechanics really are is in breaking those rules or making exceptions, yes, right? Yes, yes. Um, so we have, so I'm, I'm particularly good, uh, well, relative to the other stuff I'm not very good at, like when we are working on a game like dark tower, like, Oh, we need treasures, you know, to what, what kind of effects can we put on these treasure cards? I'm like, Oh, this exception, this exception, this exception, you know, and I nice, can sort nice. of iterate some of that. That's something I'm, I'm pretty good at. Uh, and then I'm also well known for writing the most florid prose on the team, which also probably stems in some way from both reading a lot of, you know, overwrought fantasy novels, but also doing a lot of writing as an attorney. So if we need some very purple prose for some flavor text or something, I, I'm usually tagged with that. Uh, you know, there are people who are all great designers and good writers, uh, better than I am, honestly, but, uh, that's one area where I seem to have some expertise. Yeah. It seems like you're utilizing a lot of stuff from uh, your yeah, job as a lawyer. Yeah, That's great. In a way. It um, also I, helps when you're playing games sometimes too, having those attorney skills. Yes, I can game. imagine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a couple of general board game questions. Sure. Um, one would be that, at least from what I've seen, it, they seem to have really surged in popularity, especially in the last decade, but arguably since the, the CCG boom in the 90s is maybe when it sort of kicked things off, but 2000s to 2010s, it just kept rolling. Um, I want to know why you think that is, and I have my own theories, but I'll share that after you've answered. I, 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 for sure it has, and I have a couple of theories as well. Uh, I think my, my main one is honestly sort of, it's sort of a, you know, snap back from how online we become as a society. This is what I was going to so say. Well, I, I think people like, and I, I'm not begrudging, like, I mean, I've got a smartphone and I'm online a lot. And I think there's a huge value to that, um, being able to connect with people all over the world, all that sort of thing. But we also are by nature, social creatures, right? We have mm -hmm. that primal sitting around the campfire telling stories instinct in us that I think is in there somewhere, no matter how much all the other, you know, fancy things that we have. So I think almost the more we do that, the more we also crave some of that face-to-face -face interactive social tangible term. and games yeah. are a great way to do that, obviously. So I think that's a big part of it. I think, you know, 
uh, Kickstarter certainly helped. Um, I think, as you said, the the CCG really Magic the Gathering came along and just made game stores like yeah. just out of nowhere. And so these game stores, in addition to carrying Magic the Gathering, can carry board games and you know that sort of thing. And I think part of it is also a repetitive cycle where the more popular they become, the more interest people have in designing games and, you know, yeah, we, we get better at it, like the more we do it. And so yeah, games have been around obviously since the dawn of time, but this sort of modern board game era as, as, as we, as it becomes more popular, we also become better at it, I think. And the better the games become, the more popular they become. And I think there's a bit of a repeating cycle there. Yeah, and thank God there is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, what you were saying about technology and the internet and stuff is exactly what I had sort of been wondering about. But it was kind of twofold because on the one hand, you're right. Uh, do we crave that physical experience? Of course, and tabletop gaming really provides that. But at the same time, the internet is helping in so many ways connect these fan bases that maybe didn't realize or the companies didn't realize, oh, there's a lot of people that really want us to bring this game back from the dead or whatever it might be, you know? So there is that side to it, which is beneficial, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah, um, for sure. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, exactly what you said. I, I think that uh, basically the internet is facilitating, uh, whether it's meetup groups or board game geek or even digital implementations of games where you can try out games yeah, on tabletop. like Tabletop Simulator yeah, or yeah. Tabletopia or Board Game Arena uh, and try those games out, play them, and then go pick up a physical copy of the game. Like, we put uh, Unmatched on Tabletop Simulator and we put Downforce on Board Game Arena and both of those games have continued to sell well um, even after those digital implementations uh, you know, went into place. Yeah, well, because I, I haven't been able to get myself. My brother always wants me to play games online and I'm like, no, man, I want the real thing. I want to shuffle the cards and you know have that experience. But it's funny, you were talking about another game of yours that implements um, using your phone in the game. So that's a whole other new new thing that I've tried to avoid. Only recently, the first game I did that for was I finally got the Street Fighter miniatures game after three years. Um, <laughs> and they, because of a, a factory error with the dials, they ended up having this really enthusiastic fan who created a, a digital app that basically looks like the old, you know, Super right. Nintendo Street Fighter and just to monitor your health and your energy and stuff like that. Yeah, but, I heard about that. Uh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, like we have, everybody's got them now. They're ubiquitous. So yeah. you can do some neat things with them. I mean, obviously something like Dark Tower or Stop Thief is heavily integrated. Um, you couldn't play the game without it. Yeah. Um, and that, but that lets you do cool things that you couldn't do without it. So Dark Tower... We have this sort of incredibly complex uh, combat system, but to the user, it's very straightforward and simplified. Um, mm. And so because all the chick complex stuff is happening in the app and the player doesn't ever have to worry about that. Um, but That's it would take literally like hundreds and probably over a thousand cards to mimic what we can do, you know, in the app. Um, mm -hmm. and so it's just, I, I agree. I mean, and, and it's not for everybody, obviously there's people who are like, yeah, I don't want apps in my board games. I get that. Um, there's plenty of other games out there that don't use it. Um, but it does let us do things we couldn't do otherwise. Um, I just played, uh, the Lord of the Rings journeys in middle earth game, which is also the same sort of system they have with mansions of madness, second editions from fantasy okay. play, very cool games where basically it's a cooperative game and the app is the dungeon master, you know, as it were. Uh, and you couldn't do that without the app. Someone would have to be running all that stuff. And in fact, in Mansions of Madness, someone did run it. And it was sort of the, the least fun part of the game that someone <laughs> had to do that. And, 
make sure everything stayed on the rails, but uh, now they just have an app that does it and everyone gets to play. So. And it, it seems more fitting in examples like uh, the games you were mentioning that already had some technological aspect in them, even in their earliest incarnations, it seems fitting. Um, I, I know I remember there was a lot of games back in the day that had those VHS tapes, uh, tapes like um, Nightmare or Frightmare or whatever uh, it was called. You know what I'm talking about? I, may, that's oh, not the I name. know what you're talking about. We were this close to getting that license. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> the one that got away from me on Nightmare or Atmosphere yeah it's one by two different names uh, okay yeah because you're right it's a perfect one to sort of redo with an app now and and do all that yeah, you don't have to read yeah, we, <laughs> we missed out on it unfortunately so um another sort of a follow-up to what we were talking about with ccgs i wanted to know uh why you think the market has moved away from blind booster models and uh you know um, don't tell that to the people buying all the Pokemon cards. But, but it seems like there's the heavy hitters, Pokemon, Magic, um, Hero Clicks. There's a few, but there's definitely been a, a more living card games, more things sure. where you know what you're getting I, when you buy it, you know? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm half joking. Like, I, I think 90% of the people buying Pokemon right now do not probably even play. It's so weird what's going on with Pokemon cards. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, Magic the Gathering, obviously. Uh, what was the question? I completely forgot. Oh, just so... uh, why why the shift? Because in the 90s, there was oh, an Austin Powers sure. card game. There was everything had a collectible card game and everything was blind boosters. Even in through the 2000s with games like uh, Star Wars miniatures game and a lot of the stuff Wizards of the Coast was doing. Um, but really in the last 10 years, it's kind of dropped off. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Part of it sort of answered its own question, right? Like 99% of those games all died out. And I think the problem is it's just not sustainable over the long term. Mm. So that, uh, you know, there's there's some interesting things that are sort of adjacent to it that people are trying now. There was the uh, Star Wars Destiny dice game, which had yeah. booster packs and stuff. Seemed to work for a while, but then, you know, that they stopped that as well. And then now you've got uh, Keyforge, which is interesting. Keyforge is a whole other beast, yeah. Yeah, so people are doing interesting things with sort of collectability. Yeah. But I think it's just the fact is, and there are some, uh, what's a blooded sand? I haven't tried it yet. I think that's the name of it. It's a CCG out of, I want to say Australia. That's sort of gaining in popularity. It sounds pretty cool. I do want to try it at some point. Um, but I think you just sort of just got to catch lightning in a bottle a little bit because magic will always be there. It's, the, you know, it's an empire yeah. gorilla, right? Um, and so you're never, you have to figure out something that'll differentiate it in some way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's a lot of stuff to invest. Uh, it's, it's, it's more difficult to, uh, it all brings a whole level of complexity in terms of the logistics and manufacturing of it when you mm -hmm. add randomness and collectability and things. So it could be a big investment too on the front end. Well, it's interesting being an adult now, I feel like my wallet prefers games where I know what I'm getting, but there's still this nostalgic rush of getting sure. a foil card or just, you know, it, that lottery aspect is appealing for some people. And I'm surprised yeah, that yeah. it's it's dropped off as hard as it has, because I know that like, let's take Marvel, for example, they've got uh, Marvel Champions, I think is the one. And then yep. they've got Crisis Protocol and they've got uh, Marvel United and all these things. But I'm always wondering where is the current magic style collectible marvel game there hasn't been one since versus and like i think that died out in uh, 2008 yeah, or something that was another one love that game oh overpower uh, was my jam when i was a kid but I, i'm familiar with that one as well so we've actually toyed with the idea of going back and looking at some of these old ccgs um and whether or not i mean i don't think we again we would do it as a collectible thing but i think you could do some fun stuff where like even if you did it essentially as a living card game, which, you know, we wouldn't call it that, but you know, where it was sort of self-contained, you could do some fun stuff where you put like 
preset booster packs in the game. So you're still, I think part of it is like the, it's like unwrapping a gift and you don't yeah. know what's in it. Right. Um, and yeah, you don't, Oh, I got a, this good rare, this bad, you know, that you, you lose out on the randomness, but you know, that's kind of a double-edged sword, but I do think there's some fun stuff you could do with just sort of the theatrics of it, if you will. And in fact, I think that's part of what the appeal of legacy games is. It's there's Rob's talked about, there's really two parts of it, right? Like a chain, the game changes over time, you know, whether you're writing on the board, tearing up cards, whatever it might be, but there's also the unlocking con unlock content. And I think that's part of that is that opening the new box, right? When you yeah. meet that it's sort of, I think it, it feeds that same, uh, instinct that you get from magic the gathering like oh i wonder what's inside or even like an advent calendar or something if you want yeah, to go even sure, younger exactly <laughs> yeah yeah um i wanted to know uh oh sorry uh, perhaps this is maybe <laughs> will be seen as uh, helping out the competition if you answer this but i wanted to know what modern or recently released games from an another company that you are really into right now and playing a lot oh man all right um as you got all my games are in the other room. I can't remember. Let's see. Well, well we just played Journeys to Middle Earth. That was very cool. Uh, we just played, uh, and this is actually a few years old, but it's uh, Mechs versus Minions. I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with that one. It came out from Riot cool. Games, believe it or not. Wow. And it's this huge box, way overproduced. Uh, yeah, you can't get it anymore, so I'm probably not doing anyone any favors, but it's a super cool game. We just got into that. That was fun. Uh, I got I mean, I got my copy of both. I just haven't had a chance to play it yet. Um, big fan of later games, uh, uh, but I just haven't had a chance to play it. I mean, it's funny. The irony, of course, is when you work in games, you're playtesting all the time. You don't have as much time to play games as you used to. So, Well, I find uh, that just being a parent, I'm constantly uh, buying games. True. I get Kickstarters. <laughs> I've had one since March that I've opened, but never had the time to actually sit down and really give it a go yet, you know? Sure. Or you yeah. get locked into playing one game like Unmatched, and we had a tournament going for like a month where we were randomizing who we were going to play as, and nice. uh, that was a great time. Well, at least it's quick. Yes, that's one of the coolest <laughs> things about Unmatched. Uh, I think that you guys managed to capture this really simplest, I don't want to say simplistic, but the, the rules are very easy to grasp in their baseline uh, form. But then the game is full of flavor that adds on top of that and full of you know, breaking those rules as you were speaking yeah. earlier. And, uh, and then the theme is just probably what initially sucked me in. I've always been a fan of games like hero scape where it's like samurais fighting knights, fighting dragons all over the place thematically. So um, yeah, it's, I've fallen in love with that game for sure. Speaking of unmatched though, it was revamped from star Wars, Epic duels. And yep. you, you incorporated a couple other things. I believe the range system was from something else. Yeah, a game called Tannhauser, which was a miniatures okay. combat game uh, from Fantasy Flight back in the day. Uh, it had sort of that circle and line zone thing, colored circles and lines um, that create zones uh, for range combat. So it's funny that something uh, Sam Healy, who used to be with the Dice Tower, yeah, would yeah. say all the time, he would say, oh, someone should bring this back. And I just, obviously, it's he said it so many times, it stuck in my head. We were, uh, when we went to go streamline, so the one quirks of star Wars epic duels was always this ranged combat was always wonky where it was on a regular grid map and you literally had to trace a straight line to your opponent to shoot them so that if you were moved one space to the left, That's all amazing. of a sudden you like disappeared. Where did they go? <laughs> <laughs> so we like, we knew we had to do something with the, the range system and, you know, was like I said, it was 
wobbling around in there. And then we just, it worked because we wanted to have a quick streamline, simple to play. And as you point out, like it's a perfect example of exception-based design where the core rules are really simple um, and all the complexity and vibrancy of this, the game lives in those asymmetrical decks, right? Yes. Hero power and the cards and all that stuff. Um, and it, I, you know, working with great designers, uh, they, it, it really has come out nicely. It's fun to work on. Like we're, when we do a new set, we literally sort of like call dibs on which decks we get to design. Uh, so it, it's a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. Speaking of Epic duels, I, I had it for a while. I ended up selling my copy because of some of the things you were mentioning. There were holes to me that I didn't enjoy, but, uh, I believe you rolled a dice for movement in that, didn't you? Or a die? Yeah. Yep, that was that, the another thing we changed. We that could be kind of lame. A little bit of the action one. system. What's that? It could be kind of lame. I remember feeling like you roll a one and all of a sudden sure. it burns kind I mean, of that's bogus. Like, you know, for us, that's sort of classic, right? Like every game used roll and move back before 2000, or that was 2002, but, you know, certainly yeah. before modern board games, it was roll a die and see how many uh, spaces you can move. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, if you're rolling ones all night, you're not going to have a very good time. Uh, so it had, uh, all that variance that caused a lot of issues in the gameplay. And, uh, we knew that was one of the things we we're going to have to, to deal with. So the same thing with stop thief, like we didn't change much in that game, changed a little bit of the board, just like in unmatched, we made the app out of the, the thing. But the big thing we changed was instead of rolling a die, you had this hand of action cards to move. Same mm -hmm. thing with fireball Island, instead of rolling a die, you had a hand of action cards. And for this, it was sort of a static movement, but the boost system where you can, if yes. you need to move, you can, you know, if you're willing to, I forgot to boost in so many games, I forgot yeah. to boost and you know, where you're chasing someone <laughs> across the map. And I always forgot that I could close that gap. It really took me a long time. Yeah. Um, where was I here? Uh, Oh, well, first of all, let's talk about discussing the amazingly artistic, uh, approach you've taken here with, you know, I've got all of them here. So just wanted people to see, uh, just how amazing and all the art in the game is of this caliber. So, uh, I'll show a couple more here. Oh, we've got Bruce Lee is one of my personal favorites, but I've got them all stacked up here. And, uh, I wanted to know that was because of a collaboration with Mondo, right? Yeah. So how did that come to be? Yeah, this was uh, Gen Con in 2017. Uh, we, we, we knew some people on the Mondo team and, uh, uh, we just sort of, had been talking about collaborating on something. They were sort of early into games. Um, and uh, we went to dinner with them the night, the last night of Gen Con and showed them unmatched our prototype. We had talked to them about it a little bit and they played it and they were all like hooked on it. And we knew that basically what we tried to do, we partnered with Mondo. We knew, I mean, the amazing access to some of the most amazing illustrators on the planet. Yes. Uh, but also uh, the licensing that they do is all, they license things, you know, all, all over the place. And that was not something we were doing. We, we wanted to make the line vibrant as possible. We could have stuff like battle of legends, a really cool set, but also we could work in some license sets that just, you know, takes it up to the next level. Mm -hmm. And so we worked out this essentially this partnership agreement with them where we sort of co-published the, the line and uh, they work on the license sets, getting license sets. We do the unlicensed stuff, but we sort of all collaborate together. And part of that is making sure like we're both of us, like I said, committed to making stuff look really gorgeous <laughs> for lack nice. of a better term. And, and uh, high quality components was, too. Yeah, that was no different. Um, and so we just uh, knew that was something we wanted to pursue. Um, and 
Yeah, I mean, it's just the, the saying I said when we first started working on it is like, every card is a poster and every deck is a gallery, right? Like the art should be front and center. Yeah. Um, and they did that. You know, we started with Oliver Barrett, who's an amazing artist. And then uh, we've gotten some other cool artists to work on some of these other sets. We've got some more stuff coming down uh, the pipeline. That's And it has amazing. kind of a, uh, almost like a psychedelic approach to a lot of the artwork that I really enjoy. It's, it's not, um, super literal all the time like right. remember the raptor has like the the radar thing inside of his eye and stuff like that you know where it's yeah, yeah. sort of dual purpose artwork yeah we so a lot of game game art is very representational right like it's very literal um you know that you're yeah. it's a card of an elf it looks like an elf and yeah. great art but it's very literal um and we knew for this to make it sort of stand out we wanted it to be more artistic and illust you know illustrative rather than purely representational art um and again the art doesn't you know jason and Lindsay, and then there have been a few over at mondo but sort of that whole mindset if you look at their movie posters and things it's the same way is you know we're not just making something to sell a movie we're making art uh, working with that artist and that's something that you know they've worked super hard at it doesn't happen by accident <laughs> um but it's something critical i think to unmatch and helping it stand out as a product line for sure well, and it complements the mechanics, which I think designing a game with great mechanics is a piece of art in itself. You know what I mean? It's not easy to do. Sure. Yeah, sure, sure. It's a different different set of skills. For sure, <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, but they, they complement each other very well, yeah. the game that you've designed and the artwork that you've paired up yeah. with. Um, I want to know, because we were playing on match last night. I, I was Robin Hood, and who did she kick my butt with? I can't remember now. But um, I wanted to know, who is your personal favorite character to play as in Unmatched? If you can pick one. I know it's hard. Yeah, no, I mean, it's funny. Like, I you know, I've designed some of the decks, so I don't know if it's just, uh, you know, hubris or whatever, but I like the decks that I've designed. I guess I designed oh, stuff to my taste. So, that makes uh, sense. Sinbad, I, I design, I really like, um, and Bruce is probably my favorite, um, big Bruce. He's so different anyway. So, uh, that art and, you know, having Bruce Lee on it and it's a different, a totally different plays a totally different kind of way. Yeah. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, some stuff that I haven't worked on, there's a one in the set, uh, Battle of Legends Volume Two, which we haven't announced yet, uh, coming up. That any, uh, any spoilers? Is, no, <laughs> uh, not yet. So we're having a, a media presentation uh, coming up uh, soon, and if you have not signed up for that, you're welcome to. I'll, I'll oh, I will, yeah, to you. please. Uh, but we have uh, so a lot of stuff to announce, including some stuff from Unmatched. But uh, I guess from the other side, I like Little Red. She's fun. Um, I like uh, I like Dracula. He's fun. I like uh, from the licensed sets. Uh, I always thought uh, uh, Muldoon was a lot of fun in Gen. They were. They oh, were he's neat. badass. Yeah. Uh, I find they're everyone keeps fun. Uh, they're, they're all sort of fun in their own way. Like the variety keeps it fresh. I like mixing it up. You know. So. Yeah, I like that. I'm not a good enough player because uh, my fiance and I just play, and I feel like we're on an equal level for strategy wise. Um, because I feel a lot of people online are always shitting on the Buffy set. And to me, it's like, hey, it's four more characters with cool, un unique ways of, you know, playing. So I don't know it's why funny. everyone seems to. Yeah, I mean, so Buffy, it's interesting because that set was designed. So this is part of the foibles of dealing with licensing is that that set was supposed to come out like October of 2018. And it got pushed way back through mm -hmm. just dealing with licensing. And at the time that we designed it, we were like, oh, we've got these sets. We've got a four pack. This is probably going to be somebody's first set. Like they're a yeah. Buffy fan and they want to, 
pick this up and it's got four players and they want to play two versus two or whatever. Right. So we, and have all those four people playing together. So we, we specifically designed it with an eye towards team play. And it's funny. So the heroes were, so the heroes that people have an issue with spike and willow are very good in team play. Uh, uh, but they're definitely a little bit under the curve for solo play. Now, I don't think there is bet. You're right. At highly compet in a highly competitive uh, environment, you wouldn't like if you were playing in the tournament, you wouldn't pick Willow or Spike. They're perfectly fine. So we're talking about win rates, you know, well within sort of a reasonable margin of error for, yeah. for the average player. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, is it going to be tough if Willow goes up against Bigfoot for sure? But we okay. we're not trying to homogenize the set either, right? Like there should be some good fighters and some bad fighters. Uh, but we also did at the time, at least uh, when we were designing, is we it was an eye towards team play. Mm. Um, I will say now we've sort of gotten better at designing decks because we've been doing a lot more of them. So we're able to do some decks that work well in different ways, but still stand up as you know sort of the core play. Which, as it turns out, we didn't know it at the time, but it is very much you know one versus one. Uh, yeah, play. for the most part. Yeah. Um, Willow, I don't actually hate at all because I find it's pretty cool to have two people both with range. I've always found that pretty yeah. advantageous. Um, yeah, there are not. She did, she's one of the only heroes to have that. I think she's got some really neat mechanics. The blind boost is obviously hit or miss. That's the point. Yeah. Um, the ability to resurrect your sidekick uh, with a multi, you know, a multi health sidekick is is unique. Yeah. She's definitely got some cool tricks. Uh, I think she's fun to play, you know. Well, it's not bad to have a couple characters that may be known as being not quite as good because then if you're teaching a new player, you can use one of those characters as a handicap or whatever so that they sure. might have a bit of a better opportunity at maybe beating you or at least performing well on their first time, you know? Sure. And then, yeah, even if it's just being able to play, like, to your fullest and not just be kicking somebody's butt, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I like when, when someone says, oh, this character sucks. I take it as like a challenge to try to do well with them. You know, it's a fun uh, way to look at it. Um, I, one thing I think is so cool that you guys are doing is you had a, a like a fan design contest kind of thing recently. And you've announced some of the stuff coming out, like Shakespeare is going to be coming and yeah. uh, the genie from Aladdin and stuff like that. So um, I wanted to know if, if there's any more. Yeah, I guess you can't really share any more than that or. Yeah, no, I mean, we, I mean, so we're trying to make sure that each uh, entry has its sort of time in the sun. Mm. Uh, so we're, it's not that we can't, but we don't want to just announce them all at once and then everything dies down. So we're going to announce them sort of as the sets come up. Uh, we announced the four winners, uh, which was, uh, as you say, Jeannie, uh, Houdini, uh, Shakespeare, and Rosie the Riveter. Yeah. And I have to say the contest was amazing. Uh, we figured we, we were like, Oh, we'll probably get like 50 decks. And we literally got like 500 entries. It was, Oh my bananas. God. Uh, so it took us forever to go through them all. We wanted to do it justice. And there were some amazing ideas and like every, there was not a, there were, you know, you could count on one hand, the number of decks that just were complete, uh, completely busted or whatever. But, uh, so trying to decide on the winners was hard. We ended up, we were only going to do four winners because we didn't think we were, we were hoping we'd get four winners. We ended up doing like uh, 12 extra uh, uh, runners up basically who we wanted to use their deck. So we worked out deals with them and they all have contracts. We have a, it's actually kind of fun. We have a fun little disc secret discord channel for all the contest winners where we go through, we were actually going through the process with them as we're developing those sets or whatever, but it's a lot of fun. The first one coming on is going to be uh, Houdini versus the genie. Uh, I have amazing artists uh, on that. Uh, have, it's I, Christmas have around, right? What's that? It's around Christmas, that one? 
No, it'll be early next year, like uh, early next year. I don't know exactly. Okay, okay. When. Um, and uh, so that's getting done now. So can't wait to show that off. And then, uh, yeah, Shakespeare and Rosie the River will be coming down with, and they're in separate sets. Uh, but we have like five sets planned from all those contest winners uh, carrying us through like 2023. Wow. Uh, so, you know, again, I always say, look, keep buying as long as people keep buying it, we'll keep making it. Cause it's so much fun to work on. Um, and you know, that it, it, it's, it's amazing to me. Like it's really sort of the hidden genius of the unmatched system is be, the rules are so simple. All everything's on the decks and yet we keep are able to just keep coming up with new deck ideas that really change and even pushing the envelope. And we've got, you know, we've got a deck coming out that uses a custom die, you know, Oh really? Uh, all sorts of weird little mechanics that uh, got lots of stuff planned for it. It's it's doing very well for us. We're excited, uh, so we want to keep making stuff for it. And uh, well, and I mean, yeah. going back to what we were talking about earlier, and you you know switching careers completely, it must be so gnarly now to be like, oh yeah, I've got Marvel sets coming out and all these amazing IPs under your umbrella. Like uh, you know, you must it, just be proud of yourself. This is yeah, no lie. It's, it's a ton of fun. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. And Marvel, uh, that's all coming out this summer or some of it? No, I mean, you know, so ever so COVID's just put knocked everything for a loop. Uh, and it's funny, it didn't seem like it. So on the one hand, people really into buying games. And so that sort of didn't seem like it was going to be as bad as possible. But it's really been on the development and logistics side, like manufacturing and ocean freight and ports and all yeah, that canal, stuff. The boat is stuck in the Yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> Everything, almost literally everything we've worked on has gotten sort of delayed from where we planned on doing it. Um, I don't know the specific dates yet. Um, I know the first two sets are close, like we're getting there. Uh, and then the, the next two sets are wrapping up and getting ready to go into that. But uh, And Deadpool is going to be like the, the... Deadpool actually will be shipping like next week, I think. So oh, that, no way. I got one, that. That one sort of beat the a lot of the the bumps uh, is it wait you mean it's shipping from you guys to buyers or shipping from, from mondo to buyers yeah, yeah oh is it on restoration's it, website or no uh no it's always a special pre-order um damn for uh mondo <laughs> uh and uh yeah no we haven't put that one on our site at some point we might uh we'll see uh, yeah because i started going to you guys during the beginning of the pandemic especially i'm in canada so normally i go to my local game store but it was just faster to get it from you guys directly even from the states i was appreciate still getting it, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah we uh we also have a Ten dollars shipping to Canada, no matter what you buy. So yeah. we always we, we like to try. I mean, I feel like Canadians keep getting screwed on shipping, so we eat a lot of that. I mean, honestly, we we honestly probably lose money on some words, but it's all right. I mean, it's fine. I well, mean, that's how you build. Canadians want to get our games. I'll I'll make it happen. <laughs> nice. That's a great attitude to have. You can tell that you really love doing this, and you're not just doing it to make money. You know? Uh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, like I said, it 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 beats uh, beats. Practicing law by a mile. So. Collecting debt, yeah. Yeah. Um, I do. I know we've already been talking about Unmatched a lot, but I did uh, amass some fan questions from the Unmatched community on Facebook. So I wanted okay. to try to get a couple of these in here. Um, right. John Benton is curious if Restoration... Uh, you kind of touched on this, actually. Yeah, he was curious if you had a final number of fighters in mind or if you'll just keep producing them as long as there's demand. But I guess you... <sighs> we, we have toyed with the idea of doing, like, X number of fighters and at some point revealing, like, this is going to be the last one. Mm -hmm. uh, now, it, as, it would be a big number, but then we quickly realized that how much stuff we have in the pipeline, 
it was probably going to come sooner than we really wanted it to. And we, like I said, we're enjoying it. People are interested in it. We haven't like, what we don't want to do is drive it into the ground. You know, and that's not something we're going to do. Yeah. So if we feel like creatively, it's just out of juice, we'll, we'll figure something out and be saying, but we're not there yet. So well, and when you've got an army of people designing custom decks online too, I mean, there's yeah, a, a yeah. bevy of choices there to be inspired by. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the, the results we got from that contest sort of disproved that idea. And exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Let's, let's keep it going. We've got some other really cool ideas for other form factors. I don't I can't be too specific. Things, <laughs> other things, uh, sort of adjacent things uh, coming down. That'll, that'll be really cool. Oh, you already piqued my interest with the uh, the die rolling in a deck. That's yeah. I'm wondering who that's for. But um, Michael Ray wants to know if there are currently any plans to release a cryptid box with the Mothman, Jersey Devil, Wendigo, Chupacabra, that sort of thing. I guess you can't really divulge. <laughs> you give us one of these. <laughs> okay, we'll we'll move on from that one. Um, <laughs> Mike Vincent Cormier asks, uh, I, I guess I'll say this, that sure. he's not the first to request it. It is a popular request. Okay. So it's bouncing around in your guys' heads at least. Um, how challenging has it been to secure so many different IP rights and have all of them fall under the unmatched banner? Um, there's further questions to sort of go along with that. Have there been any specific hurdles and demands made from a company in order to have their character included? And were there any characters that you can speak of that were specifically not able to be created because of such issues? Yeah. So, uh, well, okay. Uh, so first of all, that's what Mondo's here for. Like that's their jam. They're really good at it. Uh, Tim Weish worked there for most of the time we were there. He just recently moved to uh, dark horse comics and oh, nice. uh, they have someone else uh, taking over his role now at Mondo, but they're really good at it. Um, and one of the things that I think helps is that we, as you mentioned, people noted, we, you know, we treat the IP right. Like it's gorgeous. Uh, it's high quality components, all that stuff. So, I mean, literally, I think the, the Marvel came about because they had the Jurassic Park set on display out at Comic-Con one year and the Marvel mm. person saw it and was like, oh yeah, we're into that. Let's, you know, um, so that helps, right? Um, there have been definitely been some IPs that we floated and Tim was usually like, yeah, we can't do that. They're impossible to deal with. Uh, wouldn't be so much. So generally speaking, we haven't had an issue where anyone didn't want to be in an unmatched because there are other sets. We generally have a restriction that we sort of can't cross promote. Like we couldn't have an ad that had the Jurassic park set next to the Marvel set, that kind of thing. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but you, other than that, it really hasn't been much of an issue. Now licensing in general is, always got some hiccups. Like I mentioned, Buffy was had some hurdles because that was right when 20, uh, 20th century Fox got bought out by Disney. So there was also a whole big turnover that we had to deal with. Mm. Um, sometimes there's likeness issues. So we have a Jurassic park set that's T-Rex versus Sattler. Uh, and, uh, yes, yes. Malcolm, uh, and that art looks like those actors. So, you know, there's an extra level of licensing that needs to, to go on there. Um, you know, so occasionally there's bumps in the road like that, but it, it's, you know, it hasn't been that bad. And like I said, that's why we have Mondo um, as part of the team. Because I remember hearing a, a rumor. I used to play Hero, Hero Clicks for quite some time. And there was a rumor that uh, Spawn was never made because Todd McFarlane didn't want him on the same board as like Marvel and DC characters and that he wanted it to have real cape and, and you know, all that jazz. So but. I believe it. I mean, there are definitely things like that. Um yeah, I mean, like I said, there's some sets that we sort of 
toyed with and maybe even made some approaches on and we're like, yeah, that they're not, they're not going to fly, but there's, there's so many ideas and so many IPs. I mean, I get every day I get people like, Oh, you should do this every day. And it's great. I love it. Um, and usually my response is you're not the first to request it. And usually yeah. there, there's, you know, hundreds of different ones. Like there's no shortages of IPs that we'd be thrilled to work with. Um, and we have more stuff coming down other than Marvel. Um, and we'll continue, like I said, as long as people keep buying it, we'll continue to do it. And the, the, the longer we do it, the more likely it is where we'll do the IP that interests you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got a couple in my head rattling around like uh, gremlins would be amazing. Like a five, five of them or something that works sort of like the Raptors, but a little bit weaker or something like that. Um, but the Marvel stuff I'm really excited for because games like Marvel champions, I've seen them using artwork that I've seen before on Google and, and they're kind of just repurposing it. But with you guys, I know it's going to be all new and all beautiful. So it's, that's a really exciting thing. Yeah. Uh, Marvel, is, has been great to work on. Obviously, it's sort of a dream IP. Um, it's been a lot of fun. We started off, we got a big list of like, here's all the heroes we can choose from. And we just, you know, spent hours like trying to pick out sets and, you know, that went together and thematically, but were different enough, you, you know, that sort of thing. And then uh, to get some of these artists associated, you know, so um, like we, um, uh, Oliver Barrett did the Hell's Kitchen set, and it, you know he's got that unique style, like yes, Bruce yes. Lee and, and Battle of Legends. It, it, it looks amazing. And then we got um, you know somebody else for uh, Redemption Row, and somebody else for uh, Teen Spirit that's coming on, and somebody else for King Country. So they're all different, just like comic books, right? Like yeah, yeah. Uh, it's and it's really cool, and and the artists have really sort of taken to it. I, I think it's something they sort of find it you know, fun to also, because they're fans too. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like Heather Vaughn did the, uh, teen spirit set and, uh, it just looks so cool. Like, cause you don't see that some of these heroes represented that way in a sort of a traditional comic book. Uh, and they, it's, it's a really neat combination of that unmatched style of art with a traditional IP, a popular IP, like Marvel, like you say, it doesn't look like other Marvel products. Definitely. Now, if you go onto Mondo's website and look at like Marvel movie posters and stuff, you know, that's what you're in for, but a whole deck of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a really great way to describe it. Uh, I know that uh, when Squirrel Girl comes out, my fiance, that's probably all she's ever going to play now. <laughs> she's a lot of fun. Uh, they're all great, but uh, yeah, she's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I think I just said the other day, she's got, so it's funny, there's kind of a running joke about how we design our decks and uh, sort of a quirky way i do i come up with the card names first and then sort of figure yeah. out what they're going to do and everybody sort of you know pokes a little fun at me it's a weird way to do it but it works for me uh and so as someone who really appreciates card names in particular uh squirrel girl has got the best card names maybe in the whole product line honestly they're great so <laughs> well she's always been that uh yeah, character that could beat dr doom or galactus with some weird fluke that was always and off the panel quip too <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I'm so excited for that. Um, so you, you already touched on uh, the, some of the trademark IP stuff, but uh, Mato Filipovic, I believe I said that right. Mentions that he thought he'd heard. Oh no, we already talked about that. My bad. Um, he wants to know the obstacles that you guys have to overcome when you're trying to deal with trademark game mechanics, as opposed to just the IPs, but when you're, you know, taking something. Right. Well, so that's the interesting thing about games and sort of one of the whole ideas behind the company is that, game mechanics aren't really protectable. 
So there's things that we could oh. do. Like we could do almost any game we wanted. Uh, and people have done that. There, there have been whole, there was a famous case that came out a few years famous, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, where a, a Chinese company, I think made a sort of a rethemed version of bang, uh, sort of a very popular card game, uh, just completely read the mechanics are identical. It's just rethemed. Oh, wow. And, uh, uh, DB Chiak, I was Chiaki, Chiaki. I forget how to pronounce their name. Anyway, the company that makes Bang sued them and lost. And the court basically said, you can't protect mechanics like that. Wow. Uh, and sort of this weird thing about games. Uh, you can't trademark a game mechanic. Uh, well, you, yeah, you can't trademark a game mechanic. You, you uh, can't copyright a game mechanic. You can copyright uh, the rules, but then just rewrite the rules in different order. That's and, so and backwards. What you can do is you really can do it. If you want to really do it is a patent. You can get a patent, but patents are expensive. Mm-hmm. They don't last very long um, compared to copyright and trademark. And you never know, and they're, ex- they're expensive to get so that you don't know if it's really going to be worth it. So no one really bothers. Hmm. So one of the things when we started the company, Rob being a game designer, uh, obviously it was like, regardless of what we're legally required to do, we ethically, we, we will always go to the original designer at a minimum, get their blessing, but usually compensate them, even if we don't have to, That's awesome. Um, just because it's the right thing to do. Right. Nice. Um, and we, it's just, it's goodwill. It's just sort of goodwill for, you know, working with them in the future and all that stuff and getting yeah. their insight and whatever it might be. So it's just, for us, it's a, it's a good policy. Um, oh, I love so hearing that you do business with integrity. Yeah. So in that sense, the mechanics are usually the easiest part to deal with. Hmm. Uh, every once in a while, something weird will come up, but not, not, not usually that usually in that area. Yeah. I would have never thought that because the mechanics are so instrumental to what makes a game tick. And a lot of time they're so innovative and, and creative and sometimes flat out genius that I would have thought, you know, you couldn't just make a knockoff of King of Tokyo and try to run with it or, or something like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, so I think also in the community, like if you did that, that blatantly, you would, there'd be pushback and blowback from that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's weird something. because games are sort of in this unique, uh, sort of in the Venn diagram, they're right smack in the middle between art and science. Right. Yes. So you've got, you know, some chemical process to make some industrial thing or whatever is very much a patent and you've got oh i wrote a book that's very much a copyright whereas a game is like a little bit art and a little bit science you know the math's so got to work out it's got to be balanced and all that but it's creative process it's it's a very unique thing i the thing i think it's closest to honestly is is cooking um that's a great example and, yeah. uh, it's one of these same interesting things about cooking is you can't trademark or patent or copyright a recipe mm. Uh, and so cookbook, you could totally copy someone's recipe for something and make it, I, you know, there are stories about that and people doing that sort of thing and there's blowback. And, um, but I, I think it's as analogous as I can find sort of somewhere else, because you've got the science of the, the, how many teaspoons and, you know, whether it's and, yeah. baking soda or baking powder, that sort of thing. And then you've got, uh, the sort of the art of composing flavors and you know into a dish that is has a pleasing taste to it and things like yeah that's a great comparison and it's just really 
interesting. I didn't know any of this stuff. Um, I have another question from, this is Scott Shippert. He wants to know, how do you balance your focus between so many games and projects? Do you have unmatched days and then dark tower days, or is it just a blur of different projects every day? Um, so first of all, we manage it by having Suzanne on the team. She's our project (laughs) manager. Uh, and she's great. <laughs> she, she hurts the cats. Um, but we have regular team meetings. Uh, we're actually off this week. Uh, we took, I gave, you know, Rob and I decided the team needed a break. So gave everybody the week off basically. Um, but usually we have meetings, uh, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we go through all of our items, you know, all of our games, projects, you know, conventions, logistics, mark, whatever, whatever needs to be discussed. Uh, we do, we have a Slack that we, you know, use that, uh, we manage all these sort of individual projects for dark tower. We have a separate, uh, we're using a, a sprint system where we have meetings, uh, three meetings every two weeks, basically with the whole rest of the team. That's a whole other deal. We got, you know, well, we've had like 20 other people right now. There's about three or four other people outside of restoration working on dark tower as well. Oh, cool. Um, engineers and our app developer and all this stuff. And so we have regular meetings with them too. Uh, it's, you know, it's, on the one hand, it's challenging. On the other hand, uh, it's again, still not as bad as running a law firm. Yeah. So it sounds like a blast. For to me, be it's, yeah. it's kind of a walk in the park, but oh, man. I enjoy it. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, uh, annoyed with the with the week off because i miss everybody so <laughs> oh man that's so nice it's so awesome to hear you have such a great community spirit with the, your place of work that's so not the case in a lot of people's place yeah. of work you know we have, it's a great team I, I really love everybody on the team it's amazing yeah i'm really dying to try uh, fireball island because i never played the original as a kid but i do vaguely remember the concept and uh yeah that's what i'm gonna have to pick up still it just seemed like it was huge though it is huge. So I, this literally just came out today. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, yeah. So we we are we have actually uh, worked out a, uh, a development uh, arrangement with Goliath Games. Uh, they're a big mass market uh, game publisher. They sell all the big box stores. Um, so we developed a sort of a new version of Fireball Island uh, oh, cool. that will be coming out shortly, <laughs> yeah, available in Target. Uh, and it's a little bit smaller. It's a little bit more streamlined. Uh, it's, you know, and uh, cheaper uh, than the, the other one because of that. Um, and then, so I, interestingly, literally right now you can get, this was a whole quirky thing that happened. Um, the old Fireball Island that we did, Curse of Volcar, is actually in Target now uh, in some stores for like 30 bucks. Oh, man, <laughs> we don't have target here. <laughs> so if you get lucky and catch one, you know, good for you. <laughs> Not in Walmart. Uh, but then the, the new version will show up there very soon. Uh, again, COVID. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, would uh, it come to Walmart though or no? Cause I, no, I don't have no, target up here uh, in Canada. Oh, that's right. We had it for a while and it, it really shit the bed and <laughs> they got yeah. rid of it pretty quickly. Yeah. Oh, well, um, either way, maybe, uh, can I still buy it from your website though? Uh, we don't have it anymore. So oh, no. no, I don't think so. I think we just Dang. took it off. Yeah. That'd be a monster to ship from the States too. I assume. Well, again, $10. Oh, $10. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, feel like I'd so be taking advantage of you. Fireball Island was one we didn't do so well on. We sold a lot of Fireball Island to Canada, but it's our, you know, whatever. It's fine. Yeah. But that's how you get loyal customers coming back, you know? So. Um, uh, one last guy asked James Vining. He said, uh, when are we getting a crossbows and catapults remake? Which I, I thought, okay, another one of these coffee sips. All right. I think I can read between the lines here. 
Um, Again, well, finally. Uh, so it's funny. We, <laughs> when we started the company, we put up this uh, little thing right at the top. You can uh, top of our website where you can write, suggest a game for us to bring back. Yes. And for this has been going for five years and we've literally got thousands of responses, which is great. I love to see them because we also have a little box for tell us why. And those are always fun to read. Um, so the big ones so are the big three. There was the big three, which was Dark Tower, Fireball Island and Hero Quest. Mm. And we were also this close to getting Hero Quest and we just missed it. And then Hasbro brought it back. Uh, yeah. So that's cool. That's coming back, but not from us. And then right under that tier two is... Crossbows and Catapults, uh, Thunder Road, Omega Virus, maybe one or two others I'm not thinking of. Very popular, not quite bananas like the other ones, but very popular. So those are definitely, like I said, those are ones we'd love to take a crack at those. And uh, down the road, you never know. We'll see. That's uh, wishful thinking. It sounds good, though. Yeah. Um, well, cool, man. Uh, th the one thing I was going to say is with Unmatched, it seems like Star Wars Unmatched has to come at some point just to kind of come full circle with the epic duels and everything. But uh, I guess... Uh, again, yes, that'd be super cool. I don't know. We don't have any immediate plans to do it. Down the road, who knows? I would love to do it. But again, there's, like I said, there's a million IPs. That would I think cool people got hopeful when they saw the Marvel stuff because they're like, oh, well, it's all under yeah. Disney's sort of, yeah. you know... I, I understand. Believe me, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said the same thing in house. They're like, does this mean we might be able to work on Star Wars? I don't know. We'll see. I think part <laughs> of it is I don't even know, honestly, right now. It's not something we honestly have even looked at yet. I think a big issue is whether or not it's even doable because uh, Fantasy Flight has the Legion, Star Wars uh, Legion yeah. game, which is miniatures. Yeah. It's, a, you know, it's not skirmish level, it's a much bigger game than that. But um, I don't even know if it's, like I said, I don't even know if it's possible right now. So. Well, I'm going to hold so out hope. Down the road, you never know. I'll hold out hope for the Mandalorian with uh, sidekick Baby Yoda. Yeah, there you go. I feel like that would sell like hotcakes. Sure. Um, sorry, I got something in my throat here. Um, lastly, I want to ask you the thing I've been asking everyone this question or this season, rather, which is if you could have dinner with someone that you've never met from any point in history, who would it be and why? Um, huh. That's an interesting question that I was not remotely prepared for. I always like that one at the end. Yeah, That's fine. That's fine. Think uh, on your toes. Give, give me a minute here. Give yeah, no, please. Um, I don't know. That's a, this is a super interesting question. Uh, I mean, so probably an artist of some sort, whether or not it'd be an actor or a musician, maybe... Uh, I don't know, maybe someone like Tom Hanks or someone. He seems like a nice guy to have dinner with. Yeah, I feel like there's no way that could go badly. Or Keanu Reeves. Yes. Like, it's funny. We've talked in house, like, doing a Keanu Reeves set of, like, you know, uh, Ted and, uh, you know, John Wick and uh, what's it, Johnny Utah and whatever. Um, yeah, Neo but, from uh, The Matrix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, uh, yeah. So I'm a huge fan of like half the movies or all the movies, is it? But like, half of them would be really cool and match that. So I, I probably, I, maybe Keanu Reeves and I could twist his arm into letting us do a Keanu Reeves on match that. That's, nice. what, that's what I'm my answer I'm going with. Yeah. Well, he also, everything you see online about him, he sounds like the yeah, nice super guy, nice guy. Sure. So down to earth and stuff, uh, yeah. much like yourself. So I want to thank well, you thank again, you. man, for taking the time to talk with me because this was really so cool to get to see behind the curtain a bit and to just to get to chat with you, man. So thanks. My pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Awesome. Well, you have yourself a good night, dude. All righty. Take her easy.